Well, I hope you have your Bibles open, and I am very excited about this sermon series that we launched last week. And I want to get you ready for it by telling you what happened in 2010. In 2010, we bought this church at Second Street Campus. And there is a parsonage attached to this building. You probably see it every time you come in here. And if you were here in 2010 when we bought this church and you took a tour, which very few people did, through that parsonage, you would have noticed that you had to, you had to watch every step you took because you could actually fall through the floor. It was in total disrepair. It was going to require a complete rehabilitation. Now, we could have left it like that. And when people visited our church and asked, hey, what's, what's that building next door? We could have said, well, that's, that's our parsonage. We own it. And if they said, well, are you using it? We could have said, no way. It's, it's not safe to even walk in there. There's a mess everywhere, but it's ours. We own it. Isn't it awesome that the Lord gave us this parsonage? Now, that would just be crazy, wouldn't it? To have a building, it's pretty large, to have a building that is in disrepair and you don't own it, but yet you're so proud of it. No, it wouldn't be any crazier than someone who has been set free by Christ, who remains in the debilitating power of the flesh, overcome by the enslaving, broken down power of sin. Now that's even crazier. And yet that's so often our experiences. Christian brother and sister, I want to emphasize this throughout this series. So you ready? This is really the main message that's going to weave throughout this entire 11 weeks. Christian, we are set free from the penalty, the guilt, and the power of sin. But there's always a four in the freedom of Christ. We've been set free from that, but we've been set free for a life of loving God and loving one another. See, that's the gospel freedom. The moment that we put our faith in the death of Jesus, listen, he paid for our sins. And the very moment that we believe that he was resurrected from the grave, the power of our sin or the power of sin over us was broken. Now, I'm going to say that again because this is theologically very important. It was through the death of Christ that he paid for our sins. It's through his resurrection that he broke the power of sin in us. Now, do you believe that? Now, I really want to ask that right at the very beginning. Do you truly believe that, that you are free from the penalty, the guilt, and the power of sin? And do you believe that that freedom that Christ has given to you, the very moment you, you believed in him, it was yours, and that freedom was for a life of loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. See, the one who helps us be free, the one who enables us to be free is Christ. The one who helps us live this freedom is the Spirit of God. And he battles against those old B.C., before Christ desires, that rage within us, that move us to defy God, to please ourselves. Listen, it's by, the, it's by walking 
by the Spirit that we have increasing victory over the flesh, yielding to his lead. And yielded to him, listening to him, looking for his interventions, trusting his guidance. Isn't this what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The moment we were set free, justified, saved was instantaneous when we put our faith in Jesus. But it takes a lifetime and the power of God to learn to live in that freedom. If you are struggling to gain victory over the flesh, and I'm not going to ask for a, a show of hands, so don't do that, but just privately in your own heart, are you struggling with the power of sin? Now, notice I didn't ask, have you sinned in the last month? Because there's surely nobody here that's an exemption. I'm asking, are you struggling with the power of sin in your life? Are you struggling to gain victory over it? Well, listen, don't give up and don't give in to despair. The Spirit of God, for every one of us, he pioneered the extreme makeover. The question we all want to know, though, which is the aim of this series, how do you live free? How do we live free? There's a bit of desperation in that question, isn't there? I told you last week, this is really is a sermon series that I am preaching for me more than anyone. I hope that doesn't sound too selfish, but it's the truth. I'm inviting you in on the journey. I really want to know, how can I have the power of God to live free? And I want you to learn that as well. I want us to experience that together. So let's take another look as we begin. That was just introduction. You got your Bibles open. Galatians chapter 5. You're going to need to be in the Bible. I'm going to encourage you to take notes. I would encourage you to put them in your Bible. Here's what verse 16 said. We looked at it last week. We're going to look at one word from this verse this week. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What on earth does gratify mean? That's the key. Here we go. I'm going to give you three points today. Here's the first. It's the interrupted flesh. You'll understand that when I tell you this. The word gratified, the Greek word teleo, if you're very familiar with Christ's cry, it is finished, which is three English words from the one Greek word, to telestai. This Root teleo forms the root of that. It means to complete the goal. It means to carry through to the end. So here we go. And I want you to read this the way that I'm going to interpret it now knowing that. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry the desires of the flesh to its end goal, sin. Did you hear what I just said? The Spirit of God is the interrupter. Verse 16 is saying, walk by the Spirit and that process of your desires starting to lead you towards sin, that will be interrupted. Listen, don't think for a moment, Christian, that when you're really walking by the Spirit, you no longer have any bad desires. That you no longer have a struggle with the flesh. 
That part of us that still wars against God, that defies him, that wants what God doesn't want, that wants what we want more than what God wants. That's the flesh. Don't think for a moment that when you walk by the Spirit, that's gone. What it means is it won't be able to get you to its end, which is sin, if you're walking by the Spirit. See, the Spirit of God is the great interrupter. He's the disruptor of the flesh. He is the rescuer of the, of the tempted. He, it's Paul saying what James is going to say, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, James is talking about this process that the, the desires of the flesh likes to carry us along toward its intended goal. The goal is always sin. See, the goal of the flesh is not to better you. It's not to better anyone through you. It's not to make you happy. Now listen, I hope you hear this. Because this is really, truly the unzipping of the flesh. You need to understand this. It's not to make you happy. It's going to seem like it will. It's not to make you satisfied. It's not to give you the improved you. It's going to promise all of these. But the desire of the flesh, it's got its sights set on one thing, sin. And it presses you and it presses me relentlessly Toward it, And the Spirit of God, he is engaged in hostile action against the flesh. And he commands you and he commands me, get into the battle and fight. You know, that battle, we're not trying to tame our flesh. We're not trying to control our sinful desires. We want to defeat them. The flesh cannot be trained. It cannot be reformed. Listen, I hope you hear this. It cannot be improved. It will never be reconciled to God. The flesh is utterly against God. I like what Tony Evans once said in a sermon. Once you realize the flesh can't be salvaged, I'm not sure all of us know that, so once you realize your flesh cannot be salvaged and it's destined for dust, it will radically change your approach to the Christian life. You will give up trying to tame or fix the flesh and concentrate on building up your own inner power or inner person by the power of the Spirit. So we really need to understand that the gospel's not working in us to transform the flesh. It's working to kill it. I'm going to give you exactly where Paul says that in Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There is a putting to death part of it that we've got to get on board in this battle. Now I'm going to use a phrase that really actually Matt Chandler used. And I think it has a really great truth to it the spirit day by day as we walk with him and we exert here it is grace driven effort now can you remember that grace driven effort it will lead us to victory over the desires of the flesh now christian it is normal that you gradually realize and i wonder if you have ever realized this you know hey i don't i don't struggle with that sin anymore when did that even happen have you ever had that experience? 
And you've been waging battle, you've been waging war against these desires that are carrying you away to its end goal, its teleo, that sin. And you've been battling with it, you've been praying, God, I need your victory, I need your help. You've been cutting off its supply train. You've been doing all that you know to do and all of a sudden it dawns on you. You know, it's been months since I've really given into this. I can't even remember the day that that happened. That's the victory of the Spirit of God. That's the norm increasingly for the Christian who walks by the Spirit. You know why? Because it's a change of desire. It's not a three-step method. Oh, we love those. Boy, if I would get up here and I would preach a three-step victory is assured message, you all would walk out of here saying, that is such a helpful sermon. I love that sermon. You'd walk back in the week later going, but it didn't work for me. It's not a three-step method to get victory over the flesh. It's learning to walk by the Spirit, yielded to Him, Yielded to his power, killing the flesh, suffocating it like a flame with no oxygen. It's an all-out war. And there's a lot of Christians that don't really realize the aim of the desires of the flesh. So Paul shows us what they are. Point number two. The unveiled flesh. This is where it gets down and dirty. Verse 19. Now the works, verse 19, of the flesh are evident. Now just stop there for just a moment. It was really common for Greek philosophers, for rabbis, for spiritual leaders to create lists of virtues and vices. That's, that is what Paul is doing. And there are many of them in historical writings. We've got a lot of them. And there's, a lot, there's a great many of them in the Bible itself. But no list is ever the same. This list in verses 19 through 20 is not duplicated anywhere, word for word. And Paul isn't trying to. In fact, he's only giving you and I a sampling. Look at what he says at the end of it. And things like these. What he's telling you, this is just a few of them. There's a whole lot more. But let me give you a few of them. Even though he didn't include gluttony, he didn't include lying, he doesn't include murder. That's a big one. You'd think that would be in there. What he does is he lists 15 products that the uninterrupted flesh can produce. Now, I'm going to say that again. He lists 15 products, sins, you'll see why I'm calling that in a minute, that the uninterrupted flesh can produce. And we're intimately familiar with them, so we're really not going to go through them one by one. Paul says they're evident. They're sins that the Galatian Christians were struggling with. They are, as he calls them, works of the flesh. Now, here's what they are. They're all nouns. They're all nouns. There's 15 nouns. They're products of the flesh's desires. They are the outcomes. They are the goals. They are the teleo that the desires are working toward. And if they're not interrupted, here's where they can go. Here's where they can end. They're works of the flesh. But notice the second list, the list of virtues that we're going to get to starting, Lord willing, next week. The fruit of the Spirit. That's different. Fruit growers know this. They understand the terminology. No matter how much they can protect their orchards from bad weather, from insects. At the end of the day, the harvest is outside their control. They can't work 
for their oranges. They can't work to guarantee their apples. They can't work to get their crop. Listen, all they can do is what they can do. Everything else is really by faith. What begins as a newborn, innocent-looking desire, when it is full-grown, is horrible. This is all of what Paul is going to show us, all 15 of these. When you get all the way down to their roots, that they're beginning, what they look like when they're a baby, they look, well, everybody struggles with these. This is just innocent. It's just a desire. But if it's not checked by the Spirit of God, if it's not choked by grace-driven effort, they will grow and that baby becomes a teenager and it becomes an adolescent and it becomes an adult and it becomes a habit ingrained in your life and you've already realized the noun, the product, the sin. James says, when, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Do you hear what he's saying? Desire, unchecked, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we've got, Paul gives us, 15 snapshots of what the flesh's desires look like when they become adults, when they're fully grown. And here they are. Let's look at the list. Read it with me. Let's start at verse 19. There are 15 of them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Pause. Finally, you might be thinking, one that's not hitting me. This is not just hocus pocus. This is actually the Greek word for pharmacy. It's drugs. Taking any substance to get an altered state. It extends beyond that. It's using medicines that were used as poisons. This Greek word was used for poisons that would kill and assassinate. It's used for drugs that abort babies, drugs that end the elderly or the perpetually sick. All of these are brought up under sorcery. It may not quite be out of its scope yet. It goes on, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, Things like these. Three areas of our lives, basically. You can really sum them all up into three categories. It's sin that affects our sexuality, our worship, and our relationships. They all neatly fit into that category. And then Paul warns them, verse 21, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's likely somebody here that is going to fit into one of the two categories that I'm going to tell you. One of them is, wait a minute, Pastor Tim, are you not going to go through and give the background of each of those 15? No, I'm not. I think we're fairly familiar with all of them, with the exception of the sorcery one, which I explained. And some of you are going to be wishing that I would, and I can tell you, you can get on the internet, you can find these, they're all over the place. But the other one is going to be, wait a minute. I just saw myself in a lot of these. And then Paul says that if I do any of them, I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. 
It might not just be one of them that you're struggling with or one of them that you're guilty of. It might be several of them. Honestly, it might be most of them. It's not out of the question that a Christian could read this verse and be driven straight into despair. Many believe they can lose their salvation. This teaches that. Or maybe they were never saved because of this verse. How could I be a Christian and struggle with this, with any of these? I mean, it doesn't get any easier when Paul says, not inherit the kingdom of God. It's just Paul's way of saying, you're going to go to hell. This is pretty stout. Now, let me, let me see if I can explain this a little bit. So listen to what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you two things. And both are utterly critically important. It's true that all 15 of these are so terrible that a Christian should never do them. And it's true, still on the first one, that in doing any of these, honestly, we deserve the judgment of God. We deserve the fires of hell. You've got to settle your account with God right there. You deserve hell if you've done any of these. And I really highly doubt any of us are exempt from some of these. But it's critically important to understand what Paul wrote with the word do. And I want to tell you, the Greek has tenses, just like the English does. And he put this word in a tense that means, it's a, that means a continual, habitual practice of indulging sin. Now I'm going to say that again, because I need you to walk out of here understanding what Paul means. The word do is practice habitually and continually, to have a hunger for it, a headlong pursuit of it with nothing really checking your journey. The Apostle John put it very similarly, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of of sinning. That's James's way of, or John's way of saying what Paul said with the word do. Practice and do are, are pretty much basically the same meaning. Those who have believed in Jesus, we have new hearts. We have new desires. We've been set free from the power, the penalty, and the guilt of sin. And we've been set free for a life of love. And those new desires, listen very carefully, they must manifest i didn't say should they must manifest themselves breaking from the lifestyle and the practice and the headlong pursuit of sin and the way that that happens is the spirit of god empowering our obedience point number three the disempowered flesh the disempowered flesh now i just want to inter- I wanted to just summarize what I've said. We've talked about the interrupted flesh, right? The, the, the desires of the flesh, they want to carry you to the end, the teleo. And that end is sin. And the Spirit of God enters the battle as we walk by the Spirit, as we walk with Him, as we are led by Him. He invites us into the journey. He commands us into the fight. And we must fight with grace-driven effort. And then he begins to unveil the flesh for us. What looks innocent, what looks 
okay, what looks sure to bring you happiness, confidently going to bring you satisfaction, all of a sudden the Spirit of God unzips it through the Word of God, and He begins to show you the ugly sensor of it and he shows you where it's going to take you and it will rob you of joy it will rob you of satisfaction it is not the way the christian should live so he begins to disempower it how now this is really the best part i think at least it was for me and it is for me of this sermon there must be a way listen christian there has to be a way to overcome these desires that seem so terribly, horribly powerful. And there is. Romans 8, Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's just what he said. Those who do, practice. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If I were you, I would underline that. If by the Spirit, grace-driven effort, you enter the fight and you put to death the deeds of the body, who's to put them to death? Well, here we are. We are to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. The 15 that Paul mentions and all of the ones like them. See, walking by the Spirit doesn't mean we won't be severely tempted by wrong desires. It means we can have victory over them before they carry us away and give birth to sinful deeds. Now, I've got to really make sure you understand that. So I'm going to painstakingly get your attention. You ready? You've got to hold on to this in your mind. The desires of the flesh are in you and they are in me. Christian, they are in us. They want to defy God. They do not want God. They are not trainable. They will never be conformed to God. And God's not trying to transform them. He's trying to kill them. He is working on putting them to death. He invites you into the battle. Because if you do not experience the interrupting power of the Spirit, they're going to carry you along until they give birth to sin. And it will ruin your life. It is a mark that either you're not a believer or you have some serious, serious rehabilitation to do and you better do it quick. But I want to mention one thing because again, I'm battling what could eventually and quickly and potentially happen. You can walk out of here in despair. There are people that believe there is such a thing as a second act of the Spirit. And that's defined in a few different ways. But one of the ways that they define that is that you can actually become perfected in this life. Years ago, we were looking to hire a, an associate pastor. This is maybe 10, 12 years ago. And the gentleman that we went to hire was theologically astute, very, very good man, just a kind-hearted individual. But his belief was that you can get to the point here on earth where you no longer sin. It's called perfectionism. I don't believe you see that anywhere in the Bible. I don't think the Apostle Paul ever got that. He cries about this in Romans 7. This ongoing battle with his desires and his ongoing struggle with sin. 
Listen, the Bible nowhere says you're going to be perfected in this earth. Let me tell you what it does say. It is that you're going to become perfected one day in eternity. But that process and that journey begins here. It says you can have victory over the sin that is claiming its victory over you. It can rescue you. The gospel is all about being saved for those who have already been saved. Do you get the tenses? It's all about, the gospel is all about saving people and keeping them saved. Doing the work of transformation. Doing the work of putting new desires in the heart. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. Paul chose the word walk very deliberately. Like in verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. It's one step at a time. Now listen, what I'm doing right now is I'm telling you, here's how you get victory. Here's how you walk by the Spirit and get victory over the sins or the flesh desires so they don't end and give birth to sin. And you can have more and more victory in your life as you learn to walk with him. It's the little choices in walking. It's the little choices throughout the day that draw us away into sin. It's usually not the big ones. You know, it's really that, let me just use one that men can understand perhaps a little bit better than women. It's that second look at another woman. And the Spirit of God says, what are you looking at? Right there is your choice. Am I going to walk by the Spirit? He just interrupted the flesh. Am I going to be led by the Spirit and do what he says? Or am I going to go around the Spirit, give in to my flesh and defy God and take that third and longer look which will translate later in your mind, which will give birth to sin. Do you see how that works? And the Spirit of God interrupts constantly. The Spirit of God brings a verse to your mind. The Spirit of God brings a podcast to your ears. The Spirit of God uses a, an interruption in life. He does all kinds of things to stop the journey that the flesh's desires are on before they can birth sin. It's the little choices. Several times in the Old Testament, God speaks of holding us with his righteous right hand. I'm telling you, when I struggled, this is when I was in my 20s, I was going through a severe trial this was one of the most comforting things that God ever has done in my life. He showed me in Isaiah where he holds me with his righteous right hand. The way a father holds the hand of his little child. Something I did not get in my early 20s, which I get now being a parent of four kids. See, we're to walk with the Spirit. We're to fight with the weapons that he supplies. We're to battle in the strength that he provides. But too many of us, Christian, listen, too many of us, we make a mistake in one of two directions. We fight in our own strength. We just try harder. We sin. We fail. We say, you know what, Lord? You just want me to give a little more effort. Well, I'm going to try harder because i got to get over this. Or the second mistake, we do nothing and we just leave it to the Spirit of God to do His work. We just almost get into an internal lotus position and just say, God, just, you're going to have to do it. The key to victory over the flesh is to fight in His power with His weapons and His power in His way. Grace-driven obedience. But a curious thing happens. Let's take marriage for a minute. A curious thing happens in marriage. 
if you're married, you know this, spouses profoundly influence each other. You know, before I met Denise, I don't think I ever ate Chinese food in my life. We didn't Listen, where I grew up, a town of 600 people with no stoplights, we didn't even have restaurants, much less Chinese restaurants. I never ate. My parents never once in my entire life cooked Chinese food for dinner, lunch, or anything. But when I met Denise and she took me out to Chinese saying, listen, I think you're going to enjoy this. Now I love it. She's profoundly influenced me. Before she met me, she never ate venison in her life. Now she enjoys it. See, the covenant of marriage, the covenant with God, it works the same way where Christ dwells in us through the Spirit is profoundly influential in changing and giving new desires to us. You see, the the key to this is new desires. It's to overcome the old ones and replace them. Listen, not conform, not transform the old ones. Replace them with new desires. This is what God is doing. Walking with the Spirit is most simply being with Him, spending time with Him, relying on Him, Entering into battle, he's our shield bearer, he's the one at the point, he's the one with the power, he supplies us with the weapons. It's spending time in the Bible, as the Bible is the word of God, it reveals God's love, perfection, how, what God loves, what God hates, how he wants us to live, how he wants us to love. See, in a healthy marriage there grows a desire to do what is best for the other person. What will truly lead to happiness for my spouse? That ought to inundate every marriage, and it ought to get stronger the longer we live, the the longer we're married. And walking by the Spirit is beautifully a relationship, not really any different from any other one. It is, how can the Spirit bring me into the battle And fight with me to victory. Always remember, friends, the heart and the Bible is made up of three things. You ready? This is so critical. The mind, the emotions, and the will. Now listen to this, how I explain it. Our wills are being carried away by the flesh when we don't want to say no to the wrong desire. Your will is involved, the choices. Our minds are embattled when we begin to believe that the desires of the flesh are really going to satisfy us. Our emotions are caught up in the fight when we don't feel like obeying God. We've had a really rough day, and God, this is going to feel so good. This is going to give me satisfaction, and everything in us is screaming to give in to the flesh's desires. Let me just, I'll I'll demonstrate this through one of the 15. You ready? Let's take envy for a moment. It's one of the works of the flesh that Paul lists. It's what, by the way, the Greek dramatist Euripides said was the greatest of all disease. Envy's pretty serious stuff. It's the desire, here's what it is. It's the desire to possess something that another person has to the point where you may even wish that if you cannot have it, they shouldn't have it. That's the ugliness of envy. It's wanting what somebody else has, and if you can't get it, wishing they didn't have it either. That's the noun. That's the product. But where does it begin? 
It begins as a desire of the heart, and it carries away believers as well as unbelievers. It springs into being. Listen, here's how it works. When a friend gets a new house, or when they get a new car, or they, you hear they get a promotion, or they're on a dream vacation, listen, or they lose 30 pounds, or they have a wonderful marriage, or thriving children, or healthy bodies. Listen, any and all of these can bring envy. It springs from that. It's built on selfishness. And you ready? Here's where the heart comes in. It's the belief that you deserve or that you need what that person has to be happy. That's a part of your mind. And that belief then powers the emotions of envy. It's the twin siblings of anger and bitterness which fuels the choices of your will, railing at your spouse, railing at your kids to shape them up, trying to, to try every fad diet there is, going into debt for your dream vacation, all the while the flesh is ruining you. Listen, that's when it gets unzipped and the Spirit of God shows you, wait a minute, this is about our minds, this is about our emotions, this is about our wills, this is about our whole hearts. And the desires of the flesh are running us toward ruin when they find their birth in envy. The Spirit gets into the battle. He begins convicting you. He begins convicting me, which is a gift of his grace, by the way. Don't fight. Don't try to shut off God's conviction. It's his grace. It's his warning. And his righteous hand tightens around you, and he begins to speak and guide you into the truth. And here's the truth he begins to say into the envious, desire-filled heart. Do you really believe that if you needed this for your happiness, that your heavenly Father would not give it to you? Do you understand that envy is built on unbelief? God, I must have this to be happy. But the doctrinal truth of the gospel is, if you needed it to be happy, God, your Father, would give it to you. He withholds no good gift, the Bible says. And if you don't have it, then it won't make you any happier. And he begins to show you, the Spirit of God does, how enslaved you are, how you're being carried away as a captive, and how that's not going to be able to make you happy. Not for you, not for your spouse, not for your kids, not for your friends. You're going to be mired in selfishness. And he reveals the ugly underbelly of envy, the rotten internal guts of every single sin that we could ever commit and we cry out to him in confession and we repent of our wrong beliefs and we go to his word to strengthen our faith that God loves us supremely and instead of increasing the supply train to envy we cut it off we suffocate it like a candle without oxygen by praying for the person who is blessed by congratulating the one who is promoted by asking hey how did your vacation go I want to see the pictures by really wishing for their happiness and their blessing it's how you cut it off it's grace driven obedience see we denounce the lie of envy the sin of distrust the horror of self-worship and we instead bless the one we were envious of and we remember how good our god is to us that's the great interrupter 
That's the battle against envy that some of us probably, quite frankly, better get involved in. But it's repeated for the other 14 and all the ones like it. Because it all works the same way. Friends, we're at war. The stakes are high. The flesh, listen, wants to carry you into sin, wants to enslave you to its passions. But thanks be to God, the Spirit of God leads us into the battle. He fights with us. He says, he helps us say no to the lies of the flesh. We're free, Christian. We are free from the penalty, the guilt, and the power of sin. We can say no to self by the power of the Spirit. And we can say yes to loving God. That's why he freed us. It's for loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbors as ourselves. And this week, you've got the opportunity you got it starting even immediately because the flesh doesn't take a day off. It will attack you immediately. In fact, listen, do not be surprised as you enter into this battle that it gets more fierce. But you have the opportunity along with me to let the Spirit of God interrupt the flesh, the teleo, the gratify, that it will not carry you along to give birth to sin. He will open your eyes to the battle that's waging war inside your heart, your mind, your emotions, and your will. And he can begin disempowering those desires as we get involved in the battle. And I'm hoping that next Saturday when we get back here, next Sunday here at 2nd Street, next Sunday at March Street, we can gather again and we can say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.